Welcome to the Gals Guide to the Galaxy podcast, where a group of gals gather for you one cool thing around our topic of the month. Is it ancient history? Is it breaking news? Is it safe for work? Well, that's up to each gal. All we know is that... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. It's a new month and a new theme at Gals Guide Library. This month, we're celebrating National Asian and Pacific Islander Month. We're shining spotlight on the incredibly talented women of Asian descent. While Leah is technically here, she's been diagnosed with Bell's palsy. Leah decided to sideline herself until she stopped sounding like Sylvester Stallone. I am the law. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll probably hear her laugh in the background. So it gives me the great pleasure to introduce to you my gals who joined us to celebrate Asian gals. (laughs) First up, Gals Guide head librarian, it's... Me, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie, introduce yourself to the people. Do it, Bonnie. Do it. Uh, my name's Bonnie. I'm the library manager here at Cowskine, and I do paintings of women throughout history. And I am like six weeks away from Woo-hoo! getting my master's of library information. Oh, Bonnie, sweet. That's incredible. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. One more more class. You got it. You got it. Next up is El Presidente of Gals Guide. It's Katie (laughs) Young. Yay! Yay! (laughs) You said that and I felt like a deer in headlights. I'm like, I don't have anything to say. (laughs) But Gals Guide is going amazing. We just wrapped up in April Fairyville, which is one of our bigger events of the year. And it was awesome. We got to share mini gals with mini gals. There are lots of Girl Scouts, um, young kids, adults that came and attended, um, and we got to spread fairy stories, and we did an amazing scavenger hunt of women of history that had, what What did you say, like 77 views or something? Was oh, yeah, that they tracked the scanner. Yeah, yeah. that they did the scanners, so it was a big success, so that's what awesome. I have to share. I'm just real awesome. proud of us. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I'm proud of us, too. Right? <laughs> Next up is our Director of Community Outreach at Gals Guide. It's Barb Conlon. Hello, hello. So what, this is like my third time in the chair. Yay. I like that. I'm getting addicted to this whole podcast thing. (laughs) I actually had the thought the other day that maybe you should replace me. the whole dynamic and I wouldn't like it nearly as much if you weren't here. So that's a no. Okay. From me. Dog. Permanent fourth. I'm going to keep pushing. Okay. okay. That might work, but no, we don't want to change the dynamic. But I've had a lot of fun hanging out, and Fairyville was a blast. We're getting ready to go into kind of the warmer weather, which takes us outside and to lots of fairs and festivals and things like that. So we'll look forward to that with this yeah. with this crew and others. Well, Barb totally rocks those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You go to one, find the Gals Guide stand, you will see Barb there <laughs> promoting the good word. <laughs> Has Barb beaten your, your record yet, though? I have not. Oh, really? No, I have not. Yeah. Katie's record still kind of stands. Obnoxious. <laughs> I don't even think I had the liquid courage. Is that just so where did that come from? Well, we I don't know. To, we might have to talk about that offline. I was you can tell me how to recruit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you need my tips. <laughs> you just have to let him smell the desperation on you. <laughs> Too funny. So before we get into our first cool gal, let's see what's happening at our cool library this week. 
Tell us, Bonnie. Tell us. <laughs> For May 8th through 14th, on Wednesday, May 10th, the Writer's Galaxy Space is open for writers to drop in and be writerly starting at 4.30 p.m. In-person and online options are available. Register at galsguide.org. On Saturday, we have two events. First up at 9 a.m. is our walking club. Join us for a stroll around Noblesville with a stop at Debbie's Daughter's Bakery. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I know, that's going to get a lot more people walking and be like, you get a donut walking. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Debbie's Daughter's, yep. That's a good companion. Is that? Are they the ladies who did like our cookies? Yeah. They did? Nice. Yeah. For, uh-huh. for so Valentine's good. Day. Nice. Then at 10.30 a.m., Terra Circle is meeting on the patio to do Dakini meditation that they learned in the book study. Everyone is welcome to come and participate in the meditation. It would be a more in-depth if you have read The Wisdom Rising by, oh goodness, I haven't practiced saying her name. Lama Sultram Alione. <laughs> Lama Sultram Alione. That was very that nice. Funny. That was very good. Yeah, I felt like that sounded Italian. It is Italian. Okay. Well, then that makes it. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, it's Italian. She's an American lady. Who married an so. Italian. Well, I thought yeah. she like had an adopted name. The Sultram oh, is. Okay. Yes. But Alioni is her married name. Uh, she married an Italian and lived in Italy for a good long time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can tell no. I have not been attending. So <laughs> I need to get back on that horse. <laughs> I don't think it was in the book. You're good. Okay. <laughs> um, but meditation is open to all. And on Sunday, May 14th, it's Mother's Day. And even though we are closed for the day, we'd like to share a heartfelt love for mothers everywhere. Yeah. For more information, go to galsguide.org and click on the calendar. So our big question is, Barb, who's going first? <laughs> I think that would be me. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, so I will I will jump in with our first cool gal, uh, uh, Junko Tabay. Yes. That was beautiful, uh, Barb. Well, you know, and I had to write it out phonetically so mm-hmm. I would know how to pronounce it. And uh, some of the locations and, you mm-hmm. know, provinces and mountain names I may struggle <laughs> with. But that one I got down. Um, but uh, Junko Tabay was born Junko Ishibashini in Maharu, Fukushima, in northern Japan. Nice. You did a great job there. I was say, that just like flowed uh, off your tongue. Yeah, did it really? Yeah. Yes. I felt mm-hmm. like I was I'm struggling dazzled. there. <laughs> she was born in uh, 1939. Um, nice size family. There were seven children, and she was the fifth daughter of seven children to, bo- to be born into her family. Her father worked as a printer. Um, so they weren't wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they made ends meet. They had their basic needs met. Um, but the father didn't have a lot of extras. So that kind of plays out and that kind of has an influence in, in her path and her journey um, throughout life. But but it, it was it's depicted as a comfortable life. So, you know, food, clothing, schooling available. Um, and uh, for her and her six siblings... <laughs> That's a lot of kids. Um, she was considered a frail child growing up. Um, and even as an adult, she, she, she four foot nine. She was four foot oh, nine, goodness. 95 pounds. So as an adult, she was still a petite woman, uh, but much, much frailer as a child. Um, but she loved, she loved mountain climbing 
And that's, nice. that was, that became her passion. So she was exposed to mountain climbing in elementary school. Uh, she attended a climbing trip with her class to Mount Nasu, which is a, um, a complex of volcanoes in Naiko National Park in Japan. And she and her class summited Mount Chasu at 6,365 feet. Whoa. She in was 10. Elementary school. <laughs> elementary they took a group school. of kids. They did. To a volcano. They did. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. That I think it was rope I think it was a different era. Yeah. <laughs> a different era at that time. Um and uh Junko fell in love with it. She fell in love with it for a variety of reasons. Obviously when you get to the top of the mountain the view is beautiful. Um mm-hmm. so you have this expansive view uh, that she had never seen before. She loved that. She also liked it that it was so surprising to her because you know, they they did this trip in the summer. Um so in her in her province, it was warm and lush and green, and there were flowers blooming. When she got on the top of the mountain, on the top of the volcano, it's all like ashen gray, and it's mm. cold. And she found that very surprising, that oh. there was this, this new world waiting for her at the top of a mountain. Mm. And that really made her want to climb more. <clears throat> it was, what can I see? What can I experience that's different than where I'm from? So that was very surprising to her. And as I said, she was frail. She was petite. She loved mountain climbing because she could take it at her own pace. And she it could kind of be a solitary work. So you could be in this group, but you could be kind of your own person, take your own pace. And that um, that helped her kind of resolve her physical frailties. She's mm-hmm. like, you know, I can take this at my own pace and I'll still get there. Yeah, That mountaintop's yeah. not going anywhere. I'll get there when I get there. And so she loved it. She fell in love with it. But she also found that mountain climbing was a very expensive sport <laughs> to take on. <laughs> And dad, the printer, who had the seven kids, um, he could not afford to let her take as many trips as she wanted. So her trips in high school were uh, were very few and far between uh, due to the cost. So she put her passion aside. She completed high school. She decided she would go on to college, which is what was expected of her at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to a private women's uh, university, Showa Women's University. Um, it was a university that had um, a, a big influence from Tolstoy, mm-hmm. um, and they taught in addition to their academics, love, compassion, and harmony. And this resonated with her. Uh, so uh, Junko really found kind of her space there. She studied um, English and American literature, and she planned to be a teacher when she graduated. Um, however, the love of mountain climbing <laughs> did not go away. And as soon as she graduated, she wanted to return to mountain climbing. So that's what she did. Um there was an old Japanese adage at the time that, that she had talked about in some of her interviews, and it says, uh, the nail that sticks up will be hammered down. Mm-hmm. Conformity in Japan, um, they dwell on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody who sticks out, anybody who steps forward, um, who calls attention to themselves, that's not really acceptable in that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, she found it very acceptable. She did not have a problem standing out and saying... Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I'm four foot nine. And yes, I'm going to climb this mountain. <laughs> and she did not allow anybody to um, hammer her down, so oh, to speak. Aww. So so she she put teaching on hold, uh, at least for a little bit. Um, she found very few women, both in high school and in college, that liked mountain climbing. So when she graduated college, she decided that she would join um, some of the men's climbing groups. Yep. Um, and as you can imagine, that was 
sometimes well-received and sometimes not well-received. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she said in interviews that the older gentlemen who were part of the climbing clubs welcomed her. Mm-hmm. But it was the younger, the younger guys, mm-hmm. people that were her age, just fresh out of college mm-hmm. or in their 20s and 30s, who would always kind of snarl their nose up at her or would just refuse to climb with her um, and say, you know, kind of go on. A lot of them teased her about being there only to find a husband. She was there to find a husband. And she tried to reiterate to them, I'm here because I I love to climb mountains. That's Mm -hmm. what I want to do. Ironically, she met her husband (laughs) 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 on a climb to uh, Mount Tanigua. Uh, and his name was Masanabu Tabe, and they got married. They had two kids, um, and they shared a passion for mountain climbing. Um, now, her mother was not a fan uh, of Masanabu because he was not a college graduate. Again, there are expectations with all the families. Mom wanted a college grad for her daughter so that she could be well taken care of. Um, Junko wanted to be taken care of in a slightly different way. She wanted somebody who, who obviously loved her, but allowed her to explore the passion that she wanted to explore, which was mountain climbing. And that's what he did. He worked at uh, Honda in mm-hmm. Japan and held down the Ford at home, took care of the two kids. And when she wanted to go off for a couple of months and do a climb, she went and did her climb and he Thanks. held down the Ford and took care of the kids. And to, to certainly to, uh, uh, Junku, that meant all the world. So mm-hmm. very successful uh, marriage. During the early part of their marriage, marriage, she scaled all of Japan's major peaks, um, including Mount Fuji at 12,388 uh-huh. feet. So she started excelling in her passion. In 1969, she founded uh, the Women's Mountaineering Club. It was the first of its kind in Japan. And their tagline, which probably lost a little in translation, <laughs> was... Let's go on an overseas expedition by ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't really roll right off the tongue. I'm sure it rolls right off the tongue in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But the focus is there. They wanted to do they wanted to do mountain climbing. They wanted to be women only. They wanted to do it by themselves. And they wanted to have adventures together. And that's what they did. Um, money was always an issue because again, it's, it's expensive to climb mountains. Um, so she did do some work. She was editor for the physical society of Japan. She also worked as a tutor and a piano teacher. Um, and that allowed a little bit of income to come in to help support her desires to climb mountains. Um, so in 1970, the group decided to try, um, Annapurna three, which is in Nepal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would be her first expedition outside of Japan. Um, but she and her group decided to take this on and it was physically, logistically, and culturally challenging for her to do this. They were successful in their ascent. Um, they actually created a new route up the mountain. So they navigated a new route. They were the first female, and the first Japanese-led group to succeed to the summit. Nice. Um, the cultural issues, I think, really hit her at this at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only was she, um, she she having to physically accomplish things in when she was very small in stature, mm-hmm. um, but Japanese and specifically Japanese women are known for their quiet strength and their stoic silence. Feminine forbearance, or gaman, is what they call it. Um, so you're quiet, you take care of your stuff, 
you don't cause a ruckus, you don't ask questions, you don't ask for help. Um, and they had this inf infatuation with conformity that we talked about just a minute mm -hmm. ago. Um, for the Japanese, if you ask for help, it was a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Junku had to combat this, all, all of these stigmas, because when you're on a mountain with 15 other women, if you need help, you have to ask, you have to be able to ask for help mm -hmm. and you, and you can't be worried about that, that stigmatism. Um, so she, it was not only something she had to learn for herself, but all the gals that were climbing with her, she had to make sure that they knew do not struggle. Um, you know, because altitude sickness is a thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Once you get up so high, you can become disoriented. And as soon as that comes on, you have to ask for help. So she, those were the things that they were kind of combating. So she was in Nepal um, when she, when they um, made this ascent to Annapurna. And of course, in Nepal is where Mount Everest is. Mm -hmm. So that was forefront of her mind. And she was really starting to express her desire to be, mm -hmm. to summit uh, Mount Everest. And then that's when all the naysayers were coming out that were saying, you know, <clears throat> oh, the, the mountain is no place for a woman. You should be mm -hmm. at home raising your kids. And especially if you're thinking about taking an all women's group up, mm. it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and she, her response to that was watch me. <laughs> yes. Just watch me. So in 1971, <laughs> uh, she applied for a permit to climb, to climb Mount Everest. So it's very government regulated. Mm -hmm. You have to apply for a permit. It, it's all about scheduling. Um, and in their schedule, when she applied in 1971, did not have openings until 1975. Yeah. So four oh years, God. four years they wow. had to wait. But the good news was during that time, they decided that they would try to go out for sponsorships. Mm -hmm. They met some of the some na same naysayers, you know, you should be at home. You shouldn't be doing this, you know, go take care of your kids, you know, go take care of your house. But in the end, um, a Japanese TV and a newspaper um, did come to the table and offer money to the group. It wasn't enough to cover the cost, so each of the 16 climbers still had to put in $5,000, which yeah. that was nothing to sneeze at back, right. in, back mm -hmm. in the day, the mid-70s. I wouldn't sneeze at it now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. Well, especially if it's your yeah. hobby, right? Right. Um, and so it was very costly, and they still had to, um, at least Junko um, still made some of her own equipment. So mm -hmm. the pants that she was wearing when she, you know, when she was on the mountain, she made out of her curtains. Oh. Uh, wow. The waterproof gloves that she had on were made out of a car cover, one of her car oh. covers. Uh, her sleeping bag that she purchased, um, it's so cold on the mountain, obviously, mm -hmm. um, it needed additional stuffing. And so she ripped it open, added additional stuffing because she couldn't afford mm -hmm. kind of the real weather mm -hmm. tech yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Weather tech. I know that's that's probably, say that. <laughs> probably you know what right? I mean. <laughs> Everything's you know I mean. so techy. Exactly. Days. Exactly. It's hard to imagine going up Mount Everest with mm -hmm. that kind of gear. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So so <laughs> she did, and um, it was May of 1975. So when they were en route to the summit, um, there were 16 women in the group. There were journalists, a TV crew, and six Sherpa guides. Mm -hmm. So that's a really big group. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the journalists and the TV crew, they were kind of glomming onto the story. This is the first all-women's group, all-women Japanese group. So they wanted to capture the story, and that's why they tagged along. There were a lot of yaks, too. Yes, obviously, always. the Sherpas <laughs> have the yaks to, to, to guide guide and, and haul all the 
stuff that you need to take up. Um, they had everybody's attention. So on May 4th, and uh, for those of, of, of you out there, we are recording on May 4th. So on May 4th, they were at their second camp. So when you ascend, mm -hmm. it can take two months to actually go up the mountain. Yeah. And um, you have to get acclimated to um, the oxygen levels. So mm -hmm. you would hit a camp and you'd stay for a couple days, that kind of thing. So base camp, they were at their second camp. And on May 4th at 1230 in the morning, they were at about 21,000 feet just over. Uh, Junku woke to the sound of an avalanche. Oh. Her tent was completely buried. Oof. She was buried along with her tent mates. Oh, no. Of course, they all panicked. But luckily, the Sherpa guides were there, mm -hmm. drug them all out, <laughs> and everybody survived. Wow. Which, an avalanche on Mount Everest, not everybody always survives. Mm -hmm. The mountain's actually littered with people who mm -hmm. yeah. who don't make it for a variety of reasons, avalanches and otherwise. But they were able to make it. Um, they lost a couple of days because they had to take care of themselves. They, mm -hmm. were, they were battered and bruised. Mm -hmm. They had welts from the snow and the ice that had covered them. Um, she, uh, uh, Junku, had like wrenched her back and her legs and she was even having trouble standing after the avalanche hit her mm -hmm. the base camp has the doctors and they were radioing up and saying come down mm -hmm. you need to come down and she's like not coming down <laughs> <laughs> not coming down and everybody on the team they're like we're not going down we're we'll wait it out and we'll continue on the track they had waited for four years mm -hmm. just for the slot yeah. and they yeah. certainly weren't going to give it up um, so they continued on, um, and they originally, so when they get to the summit, so the summit's very narrow, mm -hmm. um, so you can't take your whole team up there. Uh, it's so narrow that they were only going to take two women and two Sherpa guides. The Sherpa guides, um, also were battered through oh, the yeah. avalanche mm -hmm. and they were also battered with dealing with all kinds of the, just the elements. It's just mm -hmm. the wind and the cold and the snow, mm -hmm. um, they only had one Sherpa guide who thought he could make the summit okay. and he has to carry the oxygen. Mm -hmm. So he has to carry the oxygen for himself and he could carry the oxygen for one other person. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Junku was, um, selected as that person oh. to represent the group and to take the summit. Um, but it was sad that she was the only one that could go. Um, she, <laughs> that last little bit, there's this razor thin, ice covered ledge and this is what she was mad about nobody told her about this razor thin ice covered ledge that she had to crawl on her hands and knees to cross to get to the summit oh. she said i've read all of the documentation of all the previous people <laughs> who have ascended to the summit no one mentioned this she crawled across on her hands and knees um and when she's crawling, half of her body is on the China side mm -hmm. and half of her body is on the Nepal side. Oh and gosh. she's like, I had no idea that, mm -hmm. that this is what was going to happen. Oh and she's still battered and, you know, mm -hmm. bruised and welted from the avalanche. And here she's crawling on her hands and knees just so she can make the summit. <laughs> but 12 days after the avalanche, she and her Sherpa guide, Aang Saring, made it to the summit of Mount Everest. 29,000 plus feet in the air. Wow. She was 35. She was four foot nine, <laughs> 95 pounds. So being frail mm -hmm. meant nothing mm -hmm. because of her determination to get there. That's incredible. 
It, it, it's just Ooh. an incredible story. She yeah. said that after she summited, she felt no elation. <laughs> she didn't want to celebrate. It wasn't like that. What she felt was relief that there was no more climbing up, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she also knew that they had to come back down, uh-huh. which is also treacherous. Yeah. Um, she was the toast of the town when she came down. Uh, she had the congratulations from the King of Nepal. She had the highest regards from the Japanese government, and they even made a TV miniseries um, of the attempt oh, of the nice. all-Japanese female crew uh, on on uh, Everest. So um, after that, though, she never saw corporate corporate funding again. I guess they <laughs> hounded her when she got off the mountain. So the TV, you know, the newspapers, they all. They all hounded her so much so that the kids were even afraid of the paparazzi. They just didn't like it. So she said, after that, I'm not getting sponsorship anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleven days after she summited, uh, an all all women uh, Chinese team. They were actually coming up the opposite side of the mountain, and they were oh. able to make the ascent as well. Great. So they summited. So uh, uh, Jonku was eleven days for. for for uh, breaking the record as uh-huh. the first woman to make the summit. Nice. Um, 1975 after... banner year for women. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. She went on to be the first woman to complete the seven summits challenge, which is mm. she summited the highest mountain on each continent. Uh-huh. She participated in 44 all female mountaineering expeditions. Um, and she remained financially independent after that, after that ascent on Everest. Um, she would do, Whatever she needed to do to raise money, but she was in control of the money rather than taking the sponsorships. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) As she got older, um, she became concerned with the sustainability of mountaineering. Um, She completed in her 60s postgraduate studies focusing on environmental degradation by climbers. Um, She became the director of Himalayan Adventure Trust of Japan, and she was focused on global preservation of mountain environments. She went on to lead multiple cleanup climbs. So she would put together a group, they would climb up the mountain, they would bring down all the debris. Including bodies? Not bodies. Okay. (laughs) They would leave the bodies. The bodies are usually just left as they were. Yes. Um, But she did build in certain situations an incinerator, to burn all the rubbish that they brought down off gotcha. the mountain. Yeah. And then she kind of threw herself into educating fellow climbers on how you treat a mountain, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some fun things. Also, she has an asteroid and a mountain range on Pluto named after her. Um, at, at, for her 80th birthday, she had a Google Doodle dedicated to her, and it's her little caricature summiting seven mountains oh, and then thanks. disappearing off into the off into the distance. Uh, there's a rebel a girl's book that was written about her. So, um, by the way, I ordered that for the library because I thought it was cool, and I think she's a badass. Thank so you. there you go. Um, in later interviews, she mentioned that she did not want to be known as the first woman to summit Mount Everest. She wanted to be known as the 36th person to do it. Oh, but there's no denying that um, she did challenge the Japanese cultural stereotypes. Um, in her, you know, in her homeland, especially a woman's role in society. Um, she always had that willingness to stick out and she was comfortable exploring beyond what tradition thought she should do at the time. Mm-hmm. Her son teased her um, when she would fill out an application. And if he saw it, there was a, and if there was a line there for um, her profession, she would list housewife. Oh. <laughs> and he would always tease her. Like, why do you not put mountaineer? You're mm-hmm. a mountaineer. And she was, and she was a damn good one at that. Oh. 
at uh, an interview at the age of 76, she indicated that she had scaled the highest peaks in 76 countries and wanted to continue. Unfortunately, at the age of 77, she was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Mm. In July of that year, she led a youth expedition to the summit of Mount Fuji once again. That was in July of 2016, and she died three months later. Wow. So, um, very sad, but she was still climbing at 77 after her diagnosis with stomach cancer. Amazing. She's pretty... She's pretty badass. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and she left quite a legacy for the mountain climbers, specifically women mountain climbers, obviously. Um, you know, she wanted to ensure that mountain climbing was sustainable and that they protected their environments. Mm-hmm. So a lot, she wrote seven books and she tried to teach folks um, what to do, how, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like whatever you take up, you bring off with mm-hmm. you. You yeah. can't leave this. There's, it's not like we have a janitor that rounds up on right. Everest and cleans up after you. You have mm-hmm. to clean up after yourself. So um, she wrote about honoring high places. Um, and through her books, she leaves a legacy for all of those who try to follow in her footsteps or climb in her footsteps. As <laughs> <the case. laughs> so there you go. That's super yeah. cool. She she was really you know, uh, if you see pictures of her, I mean she's a petite gal, yeah. and uh, and and you just would not think that she was taking two months to climb up climb up Mount Everest, but she did, and uh, all those naysayers who didn't believe her, um, she proved them wrong. So that's what so it's many incredible. of our, so many of our women do. So. Right? Yeah. Reminds me of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's always just so tiny. Right. Right. <laughs> tiny and petite. Mm-hmm. Packed quite a bit of a punch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Leah's got the got the picture of the summit of Mount Everest, and yep, she uh, she was quite. She's quite a powerful lady in that little in that little body. She's a well tiny thing. (laughs) Yes, Yes, indeed. So that's all I had. Nice. I'm just still reeling at the thought of climbing uh, across an ice ledge in two different countries. I just still process. So, and that's. You know, that's at the very end. She's been buried by an avalanche. She's 60 days or so into this climb. They go up four different base camps. You know, it's 30 below with the wind chill. <laughs> and then she finds the ledge. I thought it was funny that that's, that's what she got hung up on. Yeah. But, but when you think about all what of it. She's and the, been through. Right? Mm-hmm. Where she's come from. And there it is. And there it is. And she's like, ledge. what the hell? No one told me about this ice ledge I have to climb across. Mm-hmm. And I think we're so used to movies that, like, it's a foregone conclusion that your character or your person is going to succeed. That it's mm-hmm. easy to forget how many people don't succeed at mm-hmm. climbing yes. Everest. Yeah. I don't even know the numbers, but I would say that probably more fail than succeed. Yes. So that's truly remarkable that yes. she made it. Yes. The all-women's team. And, and they said the all-women uh, team. The Sherpas are all men. Yeah. Um, so right. that you have no control mm-hmm. over. And that's one of the costs. You hire these these. Mm-hmm these Sherpas who know the mountain and who have gone up and down several times. But, uh, but yeah, just uh, there's, they say that they use the term littered Mount Mm -hmm. Everest Mm -hmm. is littered with bodies of those who didn't make it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a scary thought. Yeah. It's a really scary, it's a scary mountain. (laughs) It is a scary mountain. I will not be going. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be a hard pass. Yeah. Hard pass for me as well. There you go. (laughs) 
Well, that wraps it up for us this week. Join us next week for another cool woman of history as Gal's Guide Podcast continues. Thanks for listening. For show notes, links, and images from this week's show, visit galsguide.org. Want exclusive stuff like deleted bits and major bloopers? Become a Gal's Guide patron today. Thanks for listening.